It's about three months ago, in the middle of June, my wife and I took a trip to Portugal. It was my 40th birthday, and we'd been planning this for about a year. So we decided to, yeah, youngster, I am. So we've been planning this for a while, and um, all that to say is we got over to Portugal and got settled into the place um, that we we're staying in. And, and the first night, I had just I slept terribly. I just tossed and turned, and I remember I had a I had a dream. But you know, you, when you have dreams and you can't remember what it was, but you know, like it was significant, and it just bothers you. I couldn't remember any details at all. I just know that I had a dream. It was significant. And if you know me, like um, I travel a lot internationally, and I don't have a problem sleeping. I'm blessed with the ability to sleep anywhere, anytime, for the most part, at least until I turn 40. And so first night, just slept horribly, had this dream, didn't, couldn't remember it at all. Second night, same thing. And I kind of chalked it up to jet lag, you know. Uh, you know, even all-star players have their worst day. And, you know, chalked up to jet, jet lag. And second night, though, same thing. Tossed and turned, just, just it was a fitful night of sleep. Still don't remember what I had dreamt that first night. The third night, again, tossing and turning, not sleeping well. And then at 5 a.m., Wednesday morning, June 21st, I woke up just jolted awake, wide awake. Have you ever done that? Like, um, I don't know if you dream that you're falling sometimes, and hopefully you wake up before you hit the ground, but it's that feeling of you just instantly are wide awake, and you go from subconscious to conscience just instantaneously. So this happened to me Wednesday morning, June 21st, 5 a.m. I'm just jolted wide awake, and in an instant, I remembered my dream. All of this is happening in seconds, and I realized that the dream that I had dreamt is very vivid, and instantly I realized that I've had the same dream three nights in a row. And in this dream, I'm in this tunnel, this dark tunnel, but I can see what's going on around me. And I'm walking forward in the tunnel, but all around me, above me, beside me, behind me, there's demons. There's darkness, there's satanic creatures flying at a fast rate of speed, just surrounding me almost, except in front of me, and I'm walking. But that's not the crazy part of the dream. That's not the, the most intense part of the dream. The most intense part of the dream was as I'm walking, those things didn't bother me at all. I felt this peace that I, I cannot explain to you, that I've never felt in real life fully, I felt peace before, but I've never felt this sort of presence on me. And it was the peace of Jesus. It was the presence of Jesus. And I, I really wish I could fully describe to you in human words the darkness and the demons, but then <laughs> the sense of peace that I had. In the middle of this satanic flurry of activity, I had the most profound sense of peace. And immediately, all these thoughts are running through my head in seconds. And immediately, I think of what David wrote in Psalm 23. And it flashes into my mind. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. And later that morning, I told Heather 
about this dream. It kind of was coming incoherently, but I, I stumbled around with my words and kind of explained it to her because I'm still processing it, and I, I knew it meant something significant, but I didn't quite know what it meant. It was one of those dreams that's so real and profound that you keep thinking back to it even months later now. And I've been processing this off and on you know, since that day in June. And that's where this, this Tremble series is born out of. And God's been speaking the same thing as Phil said to our teaching team. It's just um, unbelievable how he continues to do that. And James 2.19 says this. It says, even the demons believe, but they tremble in terror. You see, because of the power and the presence of God that you and I carry within us as followers of Christ, the demons and darkness tremble in fear. And this morning, you have to know, demons are real. Satan is real. Darkness is real. And I'm not telling you this to scare you or to make anyone afraid of demons or darkness or satanic activity. Actually, on the contrary. I'm telling you this to empower you. See, storms, like Heather mentioned, storms may surround us, but we carry the presence of the Prince of Peace within us. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow past, present, future. And at the name of Jesus, that name makes demons and darkness shake in terror, run and hide, and tremble in fear. So before we go any further, let's pray this morning. Father, we're so grateful that you're here today, that your presence is both in us and surrounding us. Thank you, God, that demons and darkness must flee at the name of Jesus. The Bible says if we resist Satan, he must flee. God, our prayer is that you would empower us this morning as followers of Jesus so that we can live victorious lives in the lands that you are calling us to occupy. That your kingdom, God, would be advanced today, Jesus. That because of today, light would push back the darkness even further than it was this morning. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen. So you have your Bibles with you. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. And you've got a while to get there. Um, I just want to prepare you. But while you're turning there, I'm going to give you a backdrop to this story. And I'm going to weave another story into it. So just track with me for a moment. So God had spoken over Israel and had freed them from their slavery in Egypt. Remember, they were in bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt for years and years. And then he freed them and he made a way through the Red Sea, that miracle on dry ground, and crushed the enemies behind them. And then they traveled through the wilderness towards the promised land. Pause there for a moment. In the New Testament... Remember when Jesus got baptized, he came to the Jordan River, and his cousin John the Baptist was there, and he asked John to baptize him. And that moment, which had to be incredible, can you imagine being one of the witnesses to that moment when the Spirit descended like a dove upon him, and then the voice of the Father, clear as day, spoke over Jesus, the Son, and publicly proclaimed and said, this is my dearly beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine that moment? Just unbelievable. And right after that moment, so far the pinnacle, I mean, can you imagine the Father speaking publicly like that over you? Which, by the way, he has. Right after that moment, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness. 
strange. He leads him into the wilderness for 40 days where Jesus encounters and battles Satan. And for 40 days, Satan verbally attacks Jesus. He says things like, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Remember, Jesus is fasting at this point. He's hungry. Satan's tempting him. He says, he brings him to the highest point of the temple and says, if you are the son of God, jump off this high point of the temple because it says in in Psalms that the angels won't let you, you break your feet on the rocks. If you are the son of God. What did the father speak over Jesus? He said, you are my beloved son. You are the one that I love. You are my son. And Satan comes along moments later and he says, if you are the son of God. He attacks the identity of Jesus. Listen to me very carefully. As a follower of Jesus, you will be led into wilderness moments by the spirit of God. Not so that you can stay there, but in order to refine you and to reinforce your identity, who you are and whose you are, to make you stronger for the battle ahead. Back to the Israelites. So God had led the Israelites out of Egypt. He made a way for them. Their journey was only supposed to take 40 days. But instead, because of their complaining and their lack of faith, and because they had an identity problem, They chose to listen to that other voice instead of the voice of the Father. Because the Father had spoken over them for generations what their promise was, of the promised land. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, generations. But because of their disobedience and lack of faith, it took them 40 years instead of 40 days. And it cost them an entire generation. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put your trust in him, then you have escaped Egypt, just like the Israelites. But here's the thing. The life that God has for you is so much more than just escaping slavery. Did you hear me? The life that that God has for you is so much more than just escaping Egypt. You were not meant to live in the wilderness. Hello? Anybody with me? See, there's a promised land that you were meant to live in. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about right here, right now, September 10th, 2017, on this earth, promised land. And I believe that many Christ followers, many people in this room are stuck in a wilderness, wandering around and around and around in a cycle of fear, in a cycle of disobedience, when God has a promised land for them to step into. And because of fear and apathy and lack of faith and disobedience, we have entire Christian generations that are walking around in circles, slowly dying themselves. But the worst part is they are impacting nothing. And the scary thing is that they don't even realize it. Numbers 13. See, I finally got there. Told you I would. Numbers 13, we find the Israelites in the wilderness, and God tells Moses to send out a scout party, some spies to the promised land, the land that he has told them over and over and over for generations, I'm giving you this land. I've got a land for you, a land of promise. It was something that they all knew. It was a promise of God that they all grew up knowing. 
and here they are, they're on their journey. So Moses sends out 12 spies into Canaan to explore the land and report back. And Moses told the men, he says, see what the land is like. Find out whether the people living there are strong or if they're weak, few or many. How's the land? Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls? Are they unprotected? Is the soil good? And lastly, because, if it was, because it was harvest season at that time, he told them to bring back some samples of the crops. So the spies went up and they explored the land for 40 days. And in one valley, they found grapes that were so large that it took two men with a pole between them to carry back one cluster of grapes. Unbelievable. You can imagine what else that we don't even know that's recorded back in the promised land. And so they get back to Moses and they give him the report and they say, we entered the land that you told us to explore and it's a beautiful country. It's a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And we've brought back these samples of fruit and everything's awesome. But, but the people living there, they're powerful. And their towns, they're large and fortified. We even saw giants there the descendants of Anak. And at that moment, one of, the other, one of the 12 spies tried to step in, tried to make his voice heard. His name was Caleb. You might remember him. And Caleb tried to quiet the people down because they're freaking out at this moment. And Caleb said, let's go. We can do this. We can take the land. God is on our side. We can certainly conquer it, is what he said. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. They said, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. And so they spread a bad report among the Israelites. They said, the land we traveled through will devour any one of us who try to go in there. The people we saw there are huge. They're bigger than us. They're giants. We felt like grasshoppers next to them. See, that day, fear overwhelmed their faith. And that entire generation that didn't believe ended up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And they died in the wilderness. One of the most tragic stories in all of Scripture. They never entered the promised land. They never experienced the true and full potential that God had put right in front of them. Never experiencing the promise God had for them. If they only had the faith to take a step across that river. And there were only two exceptions. We've mentioned the one already, Caleb, and you know the other one, Joshua. And Caleb and Joshua, they saw things differently. They actually had the faith to override their fear. They were humans, just like all the rest of the spies. But their faith overwhelmed the fear. They actually believed the promise that God had spoken over them. And see, here's the thing. Just like the promise of God to Israel, Jesus has a land of promise for you. He has neighborhoods and places for you to occupy, further areas for you to expand your borders. He's gone before you. He fights the battles, and your job is to follow in his steps with courage and faith to cross the river and to take the land. Church, it's time to stop wandering around. It's time to stop wasting your life. You're not guaranteed one more minute. Don't waste it. 
It's time to get serious this morning and start stepping after Jesus. It's time to experience your true and full potential because it's right in front of you. See, you're in a battle. Whether you like it or not, you are in a battle, but you cannot fight from the wilderness. You'll die in the wilderness. You'll wander around and you'll impact nothing for Jesus. The good news is the power and the presence of Jesus is within you. And it's go time this morning. It's time to wake up this morning. It's time to join the battle and cross over the river. Deuteronomy 32, 47 says this, these instructions are not empty words. They are your life. By obeying them, you will enjoy a long life in the land you will occupy when you cross the Jordan River. I receive that. Only you can decide the land you're going to live in. There is a land that you should occupy. It's not the easiest path. It's a harder one. But in order to occupy the land, you've got to cross over the river. Where is the faith? Where is the Hebrews 11 faith right here and right now? Why has fear trumped our faith? Are we going to choose to look at our circumstances and see the giants? Or will we look past those circumstances and see the power and the presence of Jesus? The choice is up to you. I can't choose it for you. You've got to choose it for yourself. God's looking for some Joshua's and Caleb's. Men and women that choose faith over fear. People that believe that if God told them that they will occupy the land, then it must be so. Is anybody with me this morning? Turn to James chapter 2, please. James chapter 2, verse 14. James says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself is not enough unless it produces action or good deeds, he says. It is dead and useless. Hello? James is saying that faith isn't actually faith unless it's accompanied by action. And James goes on to say, this is the best part, verse 19, he says, For you say you have faith, for you believe there is one God, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish, can you not see that faith without action is useless? I love James, he knows sarcasm, he throws it in there. He says, yeah, you say you have faith, you believe there's one God, great job, good for you, slow clap. The demons also believe that. They've seen God. They've been around for a while. They've seen him do mighty things, and they shake in their boots. They tremble in terror. Your faith, what you're calling faith, is no better than the demons right now. Faith is not faith without action. Hebrews 11, homework assignment, read it tonight. Hebrews 11, 
Part of it says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed, took action when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went there without knowing where he was going. Sound familiar? Do you know where you're going? You might know the next step. But you can't see into the future. And Hebrews 11 says, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. That's faith. The belief that when God tells me to take a step, I take a step and I do it right away. I don't know exactly the land I'm going, but I'm listening and I'm obeying and I'm stepping after Jesus. You can't call wanting to do something faith. You actually have to step out of the boat like Peter did and walk towards Jesus. That's faith. Believing in something is not faith. The demons do that. Faith calls for movement. Faith calls for action. Faith calls for stepping after Jesus. So are we going to sit back, church? Are we going to play it safe? Are we going to protect our lives at all costs? I sure hope not. I don't know about you, but I want demons to be terrified when I'm walking around. When I wake up in the morning, I want the darkness to run when it sees me coming. Not because of me, but because of who's in me. About a month ago, Bennett and my son, uh, we went to a Major League Baseball game. And we were sitting there, and it was about the seventh or eighth inning, and the home team was winning. And Benny turned to me and he said, Dad, again, the home team's winning. He said, Dad, why are people leaving the game before it's over? I'm like, that is a great question, son. Probably to avoid the rush, to avoid the traffic. And ultimately, it comes down to it's just more comfortable for them to leave. See, when I was a boy growing up in Canada, my dad taught me that we stay to the end of the game, no matter what. No matter if your team's down, no matter what the weather is, you stay. And this is in Canada. My dad dad taught me you pay a price for admission. Why would you leave early? And I remember one particular game when I was a boy up in Canada, the Calgary Cannons. The great Calgary Cannons, they were the AAA affiliate of the Seattle Mariners back then. Some great players came through that organization. And this particular game was in spring in, up in Calgary, which in Canada is just another word for winter. <laughs> and there's rain, you know, we, they played a few innings and then there started raining and hail like you wouldn't believe. And it's, I can't remember exactly, but probably a two or three hour delay. And it's Canada, even in the spring, winter, it's freezing cold. Everybody left. Guess who stayed for the entire game? My dad, my brother, myself. We stayed. Why? Because we had paid a price for admission. And by the end of the game, I kid you not, we were, there were maybe five people in the stands. Three of them were us. But we stayed until the end. Listen to me, get this. You are in the game. And your father and his son Jesus have paid the ultimate price for admission. 
And here's the thing, as followers of Jesus, we know how this ends. Hello, Jesus wins. Jesus wins, which means we win. We are on the winning team. That, no. Jesus wins. You win if you're on his team. Yet the problem is, there's people leaving in the first inning. There's people leaving in the fifth inning. There's people leaving in the eighth inning because Christians are too afraid of the battle. And Jesus said, in this life, yeah, you will have troubles, but what? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus did not tell us to stay huddled together and stay safe until he returns, did he? But that's how we're acting. Yeah, absolutely, Jesus protects us. We prayed for protection this morning for Florida. That is absolutely true. But our highest priority is not protection. Our highest priority in this life is advancing the kingdom of God. Jesus said, go. He said, make disciples. That's action. That's faith. Where? In all nations, starting with the neighborhood that you live in, starting with your house, spreading out from there. God made us dangerous to the darkness, not the other way around. Hello, God made us the dangerous ones to the darkness, not the other way around. I've been praying with my kids at night. We pray for protection for years. And then I realized, God, that's that's great. But now we're going to pray that we become dangerous, that we become light that we're supposed to be that pierces the darkness, that takes over darkness. Have you ever seen light? Not overcome darkness? Doesn't happen. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. So act like it. The preservation of our lives is not the number one goal. Jesus told us in Matthew 16, he says, He who would save his life loses it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Either way, We win. So what are you afraid of? Let me ask you a question. Is it really called living if all that you ever experience is the wilderness? Is it really living if all that you ever experience is walking around in the wilderness, and somehow that's become comfortable for us. When God has so much more for you, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it more abundantly, to give it to the full. But somehow the wilderness has become comfortable to us. We're leaving in the eighth inning and we're asleep, we're afraid, we're comfortable, we're lazy. And all the while, we're missing the fight, missing the promised land, missing huge victories in our own lives and other people that we should be impacting. And all we have to do is step over the river, and Jesus will fight for us. See, Jericho's going down. But you'll never see that victory without the action of faith. We're in a battle that's already been won. I I don't know if you know that or not. The battle's already been won. We just need to show up. It's time, church, to stop running from the darkness and start running towards the darkness and time to light up that darkness 
with the power and presence of Jesus that's within you already. See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you're not, you can turn to him right now. But if you're a follower of his, you carry the power and presence of Jesus and the spirit of God within you. At whose name demons and darkness tremble. So why are you leaving the game early? Why are you heading for the exits? Do you understand that the cross was the turning point of history? See, God does not live in space and time, and sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this. But everything changed at the cross. Everything. The battle's already been won. The turning point was right there at the cross. The kingdom of God is right here and right now. See, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We don't fight for victory. It's already been won. We fight from the victory that's already been won. 1 John 3, 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Everything changed at the cross. In Daniel 7, we find some prophecies. And we don't have time to go into everything, but Daniel saw this vision of the future, this prophetic vision of the future. And I just want to read a couple of verses from Daniel 7. This is Daniel having this vision of the future, verses 21 and 22. He says, as I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people. And the horn was defeating them until the ancient one, the most high, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. When is that supposed to happen? When is the court passing judgment? I want to propose to you that that's not something that's going to happen in the future. I want to propose to you that it already happened at the cross. The holy people of God have taken over the kingdom. At the cross, Satan was defeated. At the cross, Satan was disarmed. Check this out, Colossians 2.13. He, being Jesus, canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Disarmed. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The visual here is he marched demons and darkness and Satan naked through the heavenly streets. He publicly shamed him. There were legal documents, charges against you and me because we are sinners. And at the cross when Jesus died, when he said, it is finished, he took his blood and he blotted out, he covered up the charges against us. But he didn't stop there. Then he disarmed Satan. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people and was defeating them until the ancient one, the most high, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Church, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. And you are the holy people of the most high and you have taken over the kingdom. The problem is, 
Most of us don't realize the power that we wield. Satan doesn't have any weapons. Who has the weapons? You do. He's terrified of you. He's terrified of Jesus in you. He doesn't have any weapons. All he has are lies. He's the accuser. He's been accusing and lying since the beginning. He's a roaring lion, yes, but he's a toothless lion. He roars and seeks those he can devour through lies and fear. He doesn't have any teeth. He's been disarmed. And just like he did with Jesus, he's trying to attack your identity. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, then I'm just going to tell you a little bit, just a snippet of who you are, your identity as a child of the king. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, I've given you all authority over the power of the enemy. All authority. Ephesians, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Hebrews, he has put everything under your feet. Luke, it was the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. John, you were born again so that you could come into the kingdom. Colossians, you were rescued from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Ephesians, you have received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Romans, you are no longer slaves, but you are sons and daughters of God. The holy people of God have taken over the kingdom. You already have the weapons. You are living in his kingdom. And it's time to stop running from the darkness and start running towards the darkness. And light it up. That is our job, to advance the kingdom of God. You were made to attack the darkness, not the other way around. You were made to crash the gates of hell. And God is looking for men and women with a Joshua mentality and a Caleb perspective. He's looking for people that will say to the darkness, is that all you've got? Because greater is he within me than he that is in the world. Come on. The Father is looking for people to say, I don't see giants, I see Jesus. I don't see walled cities, I see a land that is ripe for the taking. I don't see a cross, I see a crown. I don't see a grave, I see an empty tomb. I don't see problems, I see opportunities. I don't see a valley of dry bones. I see an army of God rising up because I know who I am. I know who my father is. I know the power that I wield. I know the presence within me. I know the spirit that guides me. I know that the battle was already won. There's nothing greater that you could carry out of here today than what you already have. The name of Jesus. And you're going to cross over that river out of your wilderness and into the place that God will show you, just like Abraham. And you're going to walk out of here today freshly filled with the presence of the Spirit of Jesus. And you're going to carry his presence to your house, to your neighborhood, to every dark corner in the Peoria metro area. And demons and darkness will flee when they see you coming. You are going to light up the darkness. That is our response today. We are going to shift our mentality from fearing the darkness to attacking the darkness. Is anybody with me? Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are 
with me. I realized it's the valley of the shadow of death. It's only a shadow. You know what a shadow is? A shadow is the evidence of light exposing the darkness. And it's our job to light up the valleys of darkness. Stand up on your feet. I want us to make some declarations this morning to speak out loud to the heavenly realms that are listening. The demons, they've left long ago. But if you're seated in heavenly places, they can probably still hear you. And you are. But I want to activate some faith in you this morning. I want you to repeat these sentences after me because this is who you are. And I don't want to just mumble and stumble and wilderness talk. I want some promised land speaking going on here. Are you ready? Okay? Okay. Repeat after me. I have been given all authority over the power of the enemy. Come on. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. Jesus has put everything under my feet. I am living in the kingdom of God. I was born again so that I could come into the kingdom. I was rescued from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I have received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I am no longer a slave but a son or daughter of God. We are the holy people of God. And we have taken over the kingdom. And we are going to light up the darkness. Come on, in Jesus' name, let's give him some praise. In Jesus' name, let's sing this out to the ancient one, the great I am. Come on.